The Old Testament reading this morning is the first nine verses of Psalm 66. Psalm 66, for the director of music, a song, a psalm. Shout for the joy, for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing your praise. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading for today is in your Pew Bibles on page 1171. It's Galatians 6, verses 1 through 16. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. 
May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can you all hear me okay? Please, uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we stand in awe of your great love for all people. Your great love for all creation, which is present in us and around us and active in the world through us. And yet, Lord, it's so easy for us to fail to see it. Lord, through the hearing of scripture, through the preaching of your word, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see you, Jesus. It's in your name that all God's people prayed. Amen. So like Jen said, we are uh, launching this new season uh, here at Sherman Street called, uh, well, I, I like to call it Extraordinary Ordinary Time. Jen thinks that's too much of a mouthful. We, we haven't come to consensus on this. She just calls it Extraordinary Time. Uh, but uh, the lectionary texts this week are the ones that we heard, and I have to confess to you, at the beginning of this week, I was not very excited to be preaching on Psalm 66. The place uh, my heart was in was not one of shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Uh, we, uh, a year ago, Jen and I had a... Uh, a Canada Day party in our driveway. We invited all the Canadians in the Grand Rapids area that we know and celebrated Canada's birthday on July 1st. And we had talked about maybe doing that again this year. And it was a beautiful night on Friday night, but we just, we didn't feel in the mood for a party. And as I've talked with a lot of you in the wake of Synod a few weeks ago, and uh, the heaviness of concern for our denomination that so many of us feel, um, grief mixed in with that, 
uncertainty about the future. And then just to, to watch the news or read the news, I've mainly just felt uh, distant from God's goodness and not ready to rejoice and to sing of God's good deeds. And yet one of the beauties of the lectionary is that it pulls us out of just where I'm at on any given week. It, it pulls me out of myself and us out of ourselves into a transcendent place. And oh, by the way, the other lectionary text, there's the Galatians one that Penny read for us about you know how to rebuke a fellow believer. And the other one was Luke 10 about where Jesus tells his disciples, if you go into a city and you say peace and they don't respond with peace you know shake the dust off your feet and it was just it was tempting to just preach on that and to think about all the things happening in the christian reformed church right now but it just felt like to go there was to give more energy to something that feels to me so toxic than i already have not to minimize the seriousness of what's happening in our denomination, but, but instead, I threw myself headfirst into Psalm 66. We, we had a great conversation Bible study about it on Tuesday. And I said to staff Tuesday afternoon and even to the elders Tuesday night, I've mainly just kind of felt like a dullness. Uh, some might even say almost a, a depressiveness, which isn't normal for me. Usually it's, it's not hard for me to get in touch with joy. But uh, I'm here to testify to you today that God uh, has met me in Psalm 66, has, has carried me into a place of joy and even peace. I stood up here what, three, four weeks ago talking about just anxiety on Pentecost and praying for God to relieve me of this anxiety and then not getting that relief that I had expected. And then this week was kind of the opposite of that, which is nice when that happens. It's starting in this place of despair and feeling like God is ushering me into joy and peace. Even though I probably prayed more on that Pentecost sermon and still felt stuck in anxiety. Uh, so who knows? The mysteries of how God works and the ways that God moves. But I want to share with you some of my experience of Psalm 66 this week and invite you into the God that I've found in ordinary things and the, the joy. Uh, and, and as I think about this, sometimes when we're in a place of despair, and again, I know not all of you are in this. Some of you might be visiting today and are like, what the heck is synod? I don't even know what he's talking about. Uh, we come into this place in different places, but most of us feeling this heaviness, feeling such deep disappointment in what happened in our denomination synod a few weeks ago, and I think if we're honest, with that deep disappointment, uh, questions about where is God in this, deep disappointment in God, we trusted this institution, we trusted this process, which feels at least right now like it has failed us. And it can't help but raise questions for us, like has God failed us? Not just where was God at Synod, but where is God now. But the good news for us today is that God 
remains at work in the world, still bringing about the redemption and the reconciliation of all things. And that work of God's kingdom coming is happening in billions of small ways in and through us and around us, most of which happens just in the everyday of our ordinary lives. And it's in all these small things that we see and are reminded of the goodness of our God and the hope that God's kingdom is coming. Sometimes in despair, we're, you know, the way to, to process is to step back, to remember the big picture of things may seem bleak now, but in the end, we know that God wins, that love wins. And I, I almost feel like this week, the prompting for me and maybe for us as a church is not so much to step back and look at the big picture, but in this ordinary time, to step closer and to rediscover in all the tiny everyday places of our lives the ordinary God of ordinary things. So I want to just talk about this in just two movements today uh, as we look at Psalm 66. Uh, The psalm has two big parts, and we're just looking at the the first part today, the, the psalm of praise, and how verses one through four are a summons, a call to worship. And then verses five through 12 move us from worship into a space of bearing witness to the goodness of God. Again, Psalm 66 begins, shout for Joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. When we talked about this in in Bible study on Tuesday, we we noticed right away the call to to singing and to shouting. And of course, our mind goes to, to Sunday mornings, what we do when we have the brass section and we proclaim uh, through our song, through our voice, the goodness of God. And our worship certainly involves this, this hour, hour 15 minutes on Sunday mornings. But more than that, we are called to worship. We are called to sing of God's goodness through all the other hours, the other days of our week. I've been uh, reading this book, Jen mentioned, Liturgy of the of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life by Tish Harrison Warren. Um, our daughter May, six-year-old daughter, said of this book, she looked at it for a while and she said, it's like it's a grown-up book, but with a kid's cover. It's got peanut butter and jelly, um, two pieces of bread in the front. Uh, and Tish is an Anglican priest uh, and also a, a working mother of young kids. And she talks about how she's learned to see the movements of the liturgy on Sunday mornings and the movements of the Book of Common Prayer in the everyday habits of our life. So the the chapter headings are things like um, waking, making the bed, brushing teeth, losing keys, eating leftovers, fighting with my husband, checking email, sitting in traffic. And uh, I've been reading this book this week, and it's it's 
cause me to, to slow down, to watch a little bit less Netflix this week, to drink a couple less gin and tonics, and to look for God in the everyday. And to find God in the little things. This morning, uh, when I walked into our, our bedroom with my coffee, our dog Tova was just laying on her side and no facial expression, but her tail just started thump, 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 thump against the hardwood floor. And just taking delight, and not just a dog's tail waving, but Tova's tail waving. Or to delight in, uh, we set up our pool in the driveway yesterday, or started to, got about halfway with that, but the feel of the cold water on my bare feet as we begin to fill up this pool. These little things that can lead, can be an impetus to prayer, to worship, to praise God and thank you, Jesus. Megan uh, came into our room this morning and saw a handful of change I had from uh, going to the movie the other night. And she said, Dad, why is there change? Where did this change come from? Like she didn't notice it the other day when she took my quarters and she acted like I had been holding out or something. She said, where did this change come from? I was like, oh, that's change from the movie theater the other night. She goes, just her eyes lit up with wonder, like they give you money at the movie theater? (laughs) And seeing her start to process that, uh, Matt Jeltman and I went for a long bike ride yesterday. How many miles was that? Over 20? 50? I don't know, 100? <laughs> and uh, it felt good. And just to see a different view of the city on a bike, it's been a long time since I've really ridden a bike. And then to hobble around the house yesterday and to feel the soreness in my legs has felt like, even in the pain, reminder of God's presence in every small thing. To delight in God is to respond to the summons of worship that is Psalm 66. To rejoice in our Creator through the small things. One of the most convicting chapters in this, uh, in this book was the chapter entitled Checking Email. Um, any of you know me well, or those of you who have, don't know me but have tried to get to know me through email, have already discovered I'm not good at email, and I hate email. I love people. I love all of you. Uh, I want to sit and hear your story, but just the stress of email is so often overwhelming to me. And she has a whole chapter on this where she talks about her own hate of, of email uh, and her battle for email, but she talks about worshiping God through good work, through what she calls the ministry of competence, uh, and how we can love people well through doing our work well. She talks about, you know, the Puritans were big on talking about this, as much as anyone in Christian history, of glorifying God through our work, of worshiping through our work. And she says she's tempted to this romantic vision of, oh, I could do that if I lived in this old Puritan village, which she said not to ignore the, all the awful things of that time, but that there's at the same time this romantic 
notion of you know the 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 wood maker and the butcher and the you know all the food is organic and the people knew each other and it was all locally sourced she says it's harder to to find god in our work perhaps as receptionists or systems analysts or people who work for multinational corporations where it can feel a little bit harder to find the presence of God in our day-to-day work. But she says, God is already present anywhere we are serving as as co-creators, anywhere where our service of people is taking place. We're part of the good ordering, the redeeming of all things. It's not that we need to inject God, she says, into our work days, but we need the eyes to see that God is already there. She said the worst job she ever had was uh, working for a big hospital doing scheduling. And it was just this, you know, headset in this fluorescent lit room. But she tells a story of a woman who worked among all the other uh, receptionists who showed up with joy each day, who had pictures of her family neatly organized on her desk, who had come to this ministry of competence of being able to know who was really in urgent need of care and needed to be prioritized in scheduling and who was just being impatient. And she knew how to respond with compassion to people who called and just ranted angrily at them. And she said, what a gift, this ministry of competence we can offer people. And then she brings it back to email and says, not only is this a chance for me to love others, but my own sanctification, my own process of becoming holy is wrapped up in ordinary things. Holiness isn't something that happens three feet off the ground in this abstract view of self, but it happens in the everyday, in Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And it happens in the minutia, the quotidian of everyday life. And she confesses that even her own redemption of learning how to grow in responsibility and honoring the dignity of others and embracing accountability is happening through her learning to clean out her inbox. Or she says, at least to get better at it, (laughs) if, if not perfect at it. And when we live this way, when we live lives of worship through the delight and the recognition of God's presence all around us and through the offering of our labor as good gift and healthy practices of Sabbath rest, of slowing down enough to be present with each other, of all the movements of worship lived out in our lives, we become what Walker Percy calls hints of hope. Hints of hope. So many of the things we read about in the news, decisions of the Supreme Court, and if you saw just in the last couple of days that the case that the Supreme Court just uh, agreed to take up has potential for serious implications for voting rights and uh, some, some terrifying implications for the way that it can disenfranchise so many who are already disenfranchised and further erode some fundamental aspects of our democracy. And to, to read the news, to, to 
Think about what's happening on a denomination, denominational level. We can feel so powerless, so small in the face of huge things being decided by a handful of people. And yet the call of God is to, to lean into the everyday worship of God through worship and wonder and faithfulness and good work. And how might hundreds of us here at Sherman Street doing that, how might we embody hints of hope? How might we in doing so be a signpost in a world, in a people, Encouraging one another, desperate for hope and encouragement. How might we remind one another in the world of the goodness of God, who is active in the world, who is redeeming all things? And this moves us naturally from worship into witness, just as the psalmist moves from verses 1 through 4 in the summons to worship into this invitation for all people. And there's universal themes all throughout the psalm. Come and see, the psalmist says, what God has done. God's awesome deeds for humankind. Come, let us rejoice in him. Praise our God, all peoples. Think about that. Praise our God, all peoples. One commentator says that the Hebrews, people of Israel, their witness was always an invitation for all people to recognize our God. Not our in the sense of we have this exclusive claim, he's only the God of the Israelites, but come all people recognize our God, the God of all creation. And it's as we move into worship, as we live lives that are hints of hope, as we embody witness, that our activism also takes new shape. This isn't just an escapist call saying, you know what, all that engagement with the world and politics and denominational affairs, that stuff's kind of heavy and full of anxiety. Let's just forget all that and just focus on, you know, good, beautiful things. What happens, Henry Nouwen writes about this, is that when we center our activism in a life of prayer and worship, God empowers us through activism as vocation into an engagement with the the hard, darkest parts of this world in a way that will last the long haul. Now in reflects on so many of the, the movements of the 60s that he says in his lifetime he saw burnout. People who got so discouraged and despairing that they gave up and opted out of the fight. He said because it, it didn't come from this deep well of Christian vocation moved and centered in the love of God. When our activism, when our social justice efforts are just reactionary, when they have nothing more to fuel them than just anger, and that anger is a righteous anger, but if it's not grounded in a deeper love and a deeper vision for God's care for all creation, 
we burn out, we flame out. It's too discouraging, it's too hard. The journey ahead is still so long in coming. But our faithfulness, our worship, even our joy, even in the midst of pain and trial. We, this wasn't in our reading today. We only read Psalm 66, verses 1 through 9, but the psalm goes on to talk about, you know, in verse 10, you, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of abundance. This is a, a psalmist. These are people who know pain. This isn't a Pollyannish escape from the world, but this is a call to worship and to joy that goes through death, through despair, through suffering. Because, of course, we follow the Christ who leads us through suffering and through death into life. I'm going to end with uh, talking about Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, and this is, this is a, an understanding of the, he has these four stages of faith. Um, this is a framework that I think about often. Uh, and I would love to hear, as you kind of hear this and think about it throughout this week, if any of you have your own thoughts on this. But Bernard of Clairvaux, he's a, a, a monk, a writer from the 12th century. Um, he talks about four stages of faith, four different levels of maturity that we reach in our faith. He says, we begin with love of self for self's sake. So a, a basic kind of selfishness. I want what I want. I only care about things that, that serve me. Love of self for self's sake. He says though that at some point as we grow, we come to love of God, but it's still for self's sake. So we go from love of self to self's sake to love of God for self's sake. So this is, you know, I think of my teenage years of, I loved God and I still, I think in some ways have a, a foot in this stage. I love God, but my love for God is very much contingent on God's blessing. And so long as things are going well in my life, I can love God, but as soon as things start to fall apart, my love for God, my ability to, to worship, to enjoy God, finds itself on the rocks. But then he says, over time, as we come to know God, we, we come to love God for God's self. We, we come to love God not just because of what we get out of it, but we love God simply because of who God is. It's no longer love of God because God makes us feel good or God provides this or that, or when I pray or go to church, things go well for me. It's now, it has to do with God's very character. I've journeyed long enough with God that I've come to see that God is good in and of God's self, whether things go well for me or not. And I can sing, blessed be the name of the Lord, even in times of famine and trial. And I like to think I'm, you know, sometimes in that third stage. Uh, and perhaps we all kind of waver from 
day to day, moment to moment. And then there's this fourth stage, which is uh, so mysterious to me. Uh, and people write about it and, and talk about it with this great mystery. So if love of self for self's sake, love of God for self's sake, love of God for God's sake. And the highest stage, Bernard says, is love of self for God's sake. Love of self for God's sake. And I remember first reading about this in college and having no clue what that meant. I remember being tempted to just think, well, he did all the other pairings and he was left over with this one. So, but, but as I, you know, especially in the last year or two, I think as I've discovered the writings of Thomas Merton uh, and how, how it's added such a depth and richness to my own prayers, I'm starting to be able to sense, I think, know something. I have glimpses of this love of self for God's sake. And again, I'd love to hear your, your reflections on this, but as best I can tell, it has to do with as we grow to love God for God's self, as our own hearts become near to God, as we merge our hearts with the very heart of the divine, for us, this overflowing fountain of love for us, for all people, for all creation, it starts to happen as God's very love for ourselves becomes the very shape of our own hearts. And I can start to look in the mirror and see before anything else and through all the lenses that culture wants to give me to see myself as not good enough or not productive enough or instead to just see that I am God's beloved child, that I am God's beautiful creation, that the heart of God that is the center of the universe is love for me. And then Thomas Merton says once we begin to see that in ourselves, we can't help but turn and start to see that in every other person, even our enemies, to see that even our enemies or our would-be enemies are people loved by God who are acting out of their own pain and shame. And to have God's very heart of compassion, of grace, the heart of God that we see most clearly in the cross, where Jesus prays for even those who kill him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Come, the psalmist says, let us rejoice in him. Let us behold the beauty of a God who is present, who is active, who is faithful and redeeming this world. Let us sing of his good deeds. Let us live it. Let us be hints of hope. And as our eyes are transformed, let us see the extraordinaryness of every ordinary person. Please join me. Let's pray.
God, life is not for the faint of heart. You never promised us that it would be. In fact, these scriptures, this uh, anthology of testimony and of wrestling and of experience that we call the Holy Bible is full a testament to how hard life so often is. God, thank you that you have not forsaken us. Thank you that you have come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That you have gone into the far country, entered into humanity, that you wept, that you struggled with us, that you took on our pain and shame and came out the other side. Lord, give us hope even in potentially very despairing times. Give us hope through the small things. Help us to live lives of love and faithfulness. May that be our protest, even as we strategize and organize. May that be our witness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.